Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, 2014 it is. We are 14 years into the millennium. Mm, yeah, it's, uh, it's an exciting time, isn't it? And all my hippie friends who are listening to this and said the world would end in 2012. Hello, what's going on? We're all still here. Yeah, still don't have my flying cars though. That's what I was really hoping for. Yeah, well... Um, we almost have drones, which brings me to this week's podcast, episode number 32, first podcast of the new year. Welcome. Thank you for listening. We've got a great show lined up. We'll be talking to Andreas um, Reptopoulos, and uh, we're talking to him about drones. He's from a company called Matinet in Silicon Valley, doing all interesting bits and pieces with drones. That's coming up later in the show, or they also call them UAVs. What's unassisted aircraft vehicles? Is that it? Yeah, I guess so. Unassisted, no, auto, automatic, a, UAV. We'll we'll uh, we'll let Auto- you know. Autonomous le- vehicle. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll quickly. We, we're very we're very <laughs> up in all this terminology. Um, we're so busy doing everything else that we don't always. Ah, it's an unmanned aerial vehicle. Ah, there we there go. We go. <laughs> nice, neat. Um, you're listening to Kevin Garber and James Peter on the It's a Monkey podcast. We talk to we talk about everything relating to the tech economy, uh, or everything uh, relating to tech, social media. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Please follow us on Twitter, Monkey Podcast. Email us, tweet us, send us your feedback. We love to hear from you. Um, we have a, a nice um, listenership that's grown um, to listen this, to the show. A lot of you are listening while you're using Manage Flutter. Um, hope you uh, find it interesting. As usual, we're going to talk about everything, um, a few couple of stories happening in the tech news, and then we'll get into the interview uh, about drones. James, uh, where do we start? Got a couple of interesting stories. Intel, the CES conference is happening in Las Vegas. We should go to that conference one day. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it'd be really interesting. It's really the kind of thing where there's just so many people that it would just be like, you know, a bit intense and hard to get anything productive done. But just for the spectacle of it. Yeah, it, it, it seems, you know, in typical American style, just incredibly vast. And yep. I think that vastness um, would, would be quite interesting. Well, all the companies put so much money into their stands and their, you know, just the production values of everything they do there. You know, they spend millions of dollars on that stuff. So it's kind of just like a... An adult's pay- playground in some ways. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a bit of a PR. I, I remember many years ago when I was growing up in, in South Africa, there was something creatively called the computer show yeah. once a year. And it was very exciting to go. Mm. And uh, my father would drag me. And um, um, it was at the showgrounds, the equivalent of the ra- of the Easter show uh, here yeah. in Sydney type yep, of showgrounds. Show. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, it was quite, ex- and the, the buzz is probably what I remember. There was that feeling of, you know, mm. the future is here. You, you're kind of one of the first people to see this stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And there's, there's, there's a, yeah. It can make make uh, attending those shows really enjoyable. That kind of that kind of element. Yeah, the the feeling of possibility, and it's a mm. little bit of the tech crunch disrupt conferences. You feel like you're on 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 the front of the wave, which is exciting. But anyway, um, so at this year CES conference this week in Las Vegas, a lot of these companies. Um, announce interesting new products, a lot of the tech companies. One which was quite interesting was Intel announced a, um, a, a wireless charging bolt to replace um, 
all your different chargers that it literally looks like a big fruit bowl and you put in your different uh, your mobile phones and it literally charges it through some um, wireless power technology called um, which Intel is said to be the foundation for the Alliance for Wireless Power wireless charging standard that it is helping to develop. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't know. Um, I guess if the problem with wireless charging was that you had to place it on pads, this kind of makes it easy. You can kind of just throw it in the bowl. Um, so there's some kind of innovation there. And it's interesting to see that there's always, you know, work happening in the space. I don't know if I would use it personally, but I guess my phone supported it. Maybe I would. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've tried to get into the habit because I'm always losing my keys. I've tried to get into the habit of throwing my keys into the bowl when I come home. Oh, that's interesting. So you put other stuff in there as well. Yeah, so you just have, it, it doesn't have to be a phone, but if you just have a, especially if it's a bowl that looks nice, right? Uh, yeah, it's quite a good idea, actually. I hadn't thought of it that way. You just yeah, just cool. throw all your stuff in there and the stuff that's chargeable just charges. Just works. Yeah. It's yeah, very cool, yeah. I couldn't work out if this is being released, um, if it's actually... Um, you can actually purchase this. This uh, this particular article doesn't mention it. My guess is if it's at CES, you can't purchase it now, but it's possible you will be able to purchase it in the future. Um, yeah, interesting. So anyway, I'd I'd be interested. So that's that's one of the devices that's that's been launched at at CES. Um, of course, uh, another story that that Bitcoin continues to be all over the press everywhere and uh, the, the volatility continues. I know there was an article that I emailed you of one of the big hedge fund guys is very bearish on uh, very negative on, on Bitcoin and he says this is the year that everyone realizes that it's not backed by anything. There's no gold or any other intrinsic value and it's all going to come crashing down. I know, I know you disagree. <laughs> because gold <laughs> has intrinsic value. <laughs> well, it's got psychological intrinsic value. That's exactly what Bitcoin has. There's nothing else to it. Like it's just, just, just such. The fact you can hold it in your hand makes no difference to the price of gold. Psychologically, it does though. Only to people who don't use. Only people, people who don't support Bitcoin. Well, currency currently isn't tied to the gold standard anymore. In any case. No. Well, exactly. So it doesn't yeah. mean anything anyway. So. In the next show, we are going to have an interview with Bitcoin actually by an Australian company called CoinJar, which you found, which is a, 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 a um, an exchange, a Bitcoin exchange. Is that fair enough? Yeah, they're, they're an Australian exchange. They exchange Australian dollars for Bitcoin, essentially, and, and a whole bunch of other services along with that. So we'll be talking uh, more about Bitcoin. And um, I, I'd like to get, though, one of these real heavyweight economists and hedge fund managers to... Um, really thrash out this issue because it's value exchange and currency it's 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 a little bit of a slippery concept right yeah definitely yeah because while it is value exchange there's there's also there's also a normative aspect to it and a, and a psychological aspect to it you know meaning that it's it's just a construct at the same time yeah, as well yeah so as long as we all agree that it works it works yeah, all it requires is everybody to agree that I'm going to exchange this amount of thing for something and, you know, you'll also exchange that amount and, you know, that it, it'll work as a you know a replacement for bartering, essentially. Anyway, we, we digress. The, the, the story that we want to take, uh, chat about this week was um, the Travelling Bitcoin AT, ATM, the, uh, the Travelling Bitcoin um, Automatic Telemachine. Tell us about this. 
Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. It's um, it's one of the first uh, ATMs that will dispense Bitcoin. So essentially, you can go up to it and presumably put in your your bank card, and it will um, take the money out of your bank card and give you Bitcoin. Um, which sounds like it's a super simple thing, thing, and it should be really easy to do. Um, the real reason why it's so hard with Bitcoin is because Bitcoin is non uh, refu- trans- uh, non refundable. So once you do a transaction, you can't get that money back. So normally, if you do things like uh, sales with credit cards and something goes wrong, then you can kind of dispute the transaction and you can get the money back. Uh, and without having that, um, you know, if somebody is giving people Bitcoin, they have to be really sure they're actually getting the money into their account in the first place. So, yeah, that's, that's why it's so hard. And presumably this ATM solves that in some way by actually having the physical bank cards there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just a sort of a sign of things to come. I think we'll probably have Bitcoin ATMs down our streets in the future. Now, just to clarify, I mean, people don't literally walk away with any currency. It, it something goes into an account, right? Uh, I, so I don't know with this specific implementation, um, but in theory, you can do it in two ways. You, you can actually walk away with something. So Bitcoin can be stored in just pieces of paper. So in theory, it could print out a piece of paper which gives you your 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 bitcoin and you would then have to put that information back into computer in some way so you can kind of create like these offline wallets um so it's kind of like a signature i guess that you have the money and nobody's going to know that you have that money unless you actually have that piece of paper um it's kind of like a way of securing it i don't suspect that's the way it does it i guess the way it does it is probably you give it your bitcoin address and it just transfers you the money right once it knows well, they say um, this company started out as a Bitcoin security company, but pivoted it into building these virtual coin dispensers. The company has shipped about 130 machines in multiple countries from Canada to, to Kyrgyzstan. The operator collects the cash once it is set up, just like an ATM. The machine costs $5,000 a piece with discounts for bulk orders. Ah, so my guess is, so it is actually, it's just taking cash then. It's not taking, mm. it's like it's reverse ATM. So you just give it cash and it gives you Bitcoin. It's interesting. Interesting. Yep, here we go. Put dollars in and the machine will transfer you the equivalent amount in virtual currency minus a fee. Cool. So we should get we should um get one for the office. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about the office, but we'll get one for um the Sydney C B D. That that would be really cool actually, getting one for the C B D. Yeah, because then you could actually you could you could take a fee on top of it as well. So you could just sit at a modern place and have people walk past, put in the you know, for the for the novelty value as well, you probably make quite a bit of money from it. And we can brand it up, um, manage yeah. Flitter Definitely, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'd have to pay rent in the CBD to put it in in somewhere though. True, true. So you, all the you costs. Could just, you could put it in a car and just park it in, the, in like the car parks though. And just people come up to the, the van or whatever you and could. just put in their money. That's an interesting PR exercise. Anyway, anyway if anyone wants to... Uh, Join us in the Bitcoin. Um, if, if you're uh, an investor and you want to invest in our Bitcoin, mobile Bitcoin ATMs. <laughs> mobile Bitcoin ATMs. Anyway, the, the Bitcoin is, is really interesting. I'm, I'm very interested in it from an academic perspective. I definitely wouldn't advise people invest in Bitcoin. I wouldn't uh, advise I, it. I, I would. I would. Would you put your parents' savings in Bitcoin? Ooh, no, no. No, I wouldn't. In fact, I wouldn't even put my own savings in Bitcoin. <laughs> well, there you go. But, you know, from, from the point of view of a speculative thing, you know, I think there's a lot worse things you can put put your money into. 
Oh yeah, of course. But that 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 doesn't that doesn't that doesn't justify. But I mean, like, I don't do. If I was doing anything, I would do this over any kind of stocks or housing or anything. I would gen- like I'm, I'm fairly. You you just are such a technological <laughs> determinist. It's just you just like this is inevitable. It is. It's inevitable. It's yeah. like a drone. This is inevitable. Yep, it'll happen. Just like my flying cars. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, seven four sevens haven't changed. I mean, you know, jets haven't changed much in bloody, you know, what nineteen seventy, thirty, yeah. forty years. Well, there's good value for that, but anyway, I don't need to go. Other uh, story: Crystal Cove, the new high resolution position tracking Oculus Rift. I mean, I don't even know what an Oculus Rift is. I don't know what an Oculus Rift is. Nah, never heard of it. I have to be honest. So, did you ever? Um when you were a kid, did you ever play in like a virtual reality machine? Maybe like the when you were younger. No, like we had like screens all around you, and you would. When I was be a kid, standing on a platform. When I was a kid, I remember playing Frogger for twenty cents. Okay. Do you remember Frogger? <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, <laughs> like the arcade machines. Yeah, yeah, but like um, I, I do, I do remember you, you know vaguely, I mean? like yeah. like you sort of like sort of like a like a like a wraparound screen almost yeah the idea yeah. with virtual reality is is literally yeah you you were kind of virtually in another reality so <laughs> it's giving you the sense that your presence is somewhere else and um there hasn't been a whole lot of evolution in the tech over the years but this this new thing called um, oculus rift has been making a lot of waves over the past year or so um it's um they have one version out in production and they're just bringing out a new version now which is called the uh crystal cove and yeah, essentially what it is, it's, it's kind of like um, big goggles you sit on your face, put on top of your face, and it tracks your um, your the movement of your head. And so as you move your head, the image changes. And so it's really kind of like you're you're in the room or in the location. And so it's had some very interesting, um, you know, people in the gaming arena are obviously quite interested in it because it's, you know, it's kind of this, you know, ideal thing. If you can really take yourself to another location, it's a much more of immersive experience. Um, the initial version had a few problems, particularly with things like turning around. Apparently, a lot of people got motion sickness, like a lot of people, because it um, just because the way it, it works technically, it's very hard to sort of match the motion of your head exactly with the motion of the pictures. But these newer versions are getting a lot better, um, and they do have this cool tech where they sort of um, don't show the images often and gives you sort of the uh, the illusion that it's much more that it's much faster. So. Yeah, it's definitely evolving. Um, and there's a lot of people actually, um, there's a lot of money going to this company, you know, some big names. Um, some of the really big names in the gaming industry have gone into it. And I think it's, um, I, don't, I, won't say, I won't say the name because I, I can't remember who it was. But it's definitely uh, getting a lot of attention. So, yeah, this could be the, you know, could be the thing that everybody, when you're catching the train, you're going to see everybody with these huge goggles on their faces in, in a couple of years. And, yeah, it's going to be it, Oculus Rift. Everyone, Everyone's going to say, I remember those days when... People really sat and communicated on their phones and it was, you know, the world was so much better. It's, the, the, you know, the distractions from phones are going to look like mild compared to people <laughs> sitting with these. They, they look through the world with their own eyes, not through a virtual reality machine. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's where this is going. You know, it's not, um, it's not that far off. I mean, it's, so. it, it, I'm looking at this uh, picture of this device now. It's not a very, um, from the outside, it doesn't look like a very It's not very sexy, no. It's not the kind of thing that you would um, <laughs> you would want to necessarily be seen in public it looks wearing. Like, it looks like a big block of plastic sort of, you know, stuck to your face. Yeah. But then again, so did, you know, mobile phones when they first came out. It was just that, you know, you wouldn't exactly call a mo- an early 
brick mobile phone sexy, but um, you know these things will get a lot better and a lot smaller and a lot um, less intrusive. Probably um, maybe even look a bit like glass one day. A bit like glass. Google Glass. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah. Interesting. Look, I, I, I remember um, going into a flight simulator when I was, geez, I don't know, thirteen, fourteen, a seven four seven or an Airbus flight simulator, hmm. and. Um, it was amazing. I mean, this was a long time ago. And even at that stage, it was just, it really felt like you were landing in a plane. Did it have like all of the toggles and controls or was it no, just the, the screens? The, no, this was a professional okay. airline. The the um, oh, cool. The airport in Johannesburg opened it up on one day. They had an open day. Oh, cool. And you had a queue for hours and hours to get a go in this flight simulator for five oh. minutes. So it was the kind of thing that pilots would use yeah. to test. Oh, wow. Yeah, Very it was, cool. It was yeah. pilot grade stuff. Wow. And e- even at that stage, it was... It was really trippy how realistic it was. Cool. Yeah. Was, um, Love to do that. Have you ever been to the... There's flight simulators in Darling Harbour down in Sydney. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. I think they... I'm, I'm not sure how much they cost, but... Um, where, where at? Um, in that main shopping centre where the bowling is and... Uh, oh, yes. I know. I know yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. We walked past it that day. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure this will be very interesting to our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> if you do live in Sydney, go to Darling Harbour. <laughs> We we have a few Sydney listeners. I think I've got uh, one family member and one friend who live in Sydney who actually have listeners from everywhere, which is exciting. Anyway, that's the Oculus Rift. So, I mean, can we actually buy these things? You can buy the early version. I think they've only, they only have limited capacity. I'm pretty sure it started on Kickstarter as well. So I think they might have shipped their Kickstarter allotment, or at least some of it. How um, much? How much um, I don't know. Not Not cheap thousand bucks plus probably so it's not not the kind of thing it's definitely not in stores so you can't just walk down to your store and buy a version but um yeah it will be it will be i mean the application obviously for training purposes i mean obviously has always been there but you know even just surgeons and i mean it's fantastic yeah yeah i mean you could even you know have like holidays in it right like you can have a virtual holiday i know it sounds crazy but it's like you're basically there like you can go home and instead of you know sitting on your couch and watch tv you can really go across and you know go skiing or whatever and you really feel like you're doing it it's you know jeez i don't know james (laughs) it's like it's the future it's the future you've got to embrace the digital you got to embrace it yeah, it's, I've I've mentioned um, to the team before you guys about the book Neuromancer, and it it paints this. I wouldn't say it's, it's a dystopian future, but it's um, it's this future of uh, tech, uh, humans and technology just being um, the line not existing, mm. and you don't know where the the one line begins and the one line ends. And I, I keep every year. It just feels like we're getting to that future, and. Um, it, yeah, it's it's an interesting book. It, it doesn't necessarily paint it as a bleak future, but it doesn't paint it as a rosy one. It paints it as an insipid one, you know, flat. Yeah, I disagree. But anyway, <laughs> I should write my own book. <laughs> you should. You should. You should write your... Yeah. Um... Anyway, you're listening to Kevin Garber and James Peter on the It's a Monkey podcast. Um, we broadcast this podcast every two weeks. We've missed a few weeks because of Christmas and New Year and difficult to get hold of people to interview. So we just, uh, this is the first one for the New Year. Um, Please follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook. We love hearing from you. You can also email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. 
We're going to take a short break, and after the break, we're going to be talking to Andreas um, Raptopoulos, who is the CEO and co-founder of Matinet, and we're going to be talking to him about drones, those unmanned, what were they? Unmanned, unmanned aerial vehicles. Unmanned aerial vehicles that um, up until now have been mainly used for military purposes, but um, they have coming into the consumer slash industrial commercial arena. So stay with us, and we'll be back after this break. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at Manage Flitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. You're back with Kevin Garber on the It's a Monkey podcast, the first podcast for 2014, brand new year, brand new podcast. And as always, we talk about the topical tech-related issues and tech economy-related issues. Now, a few of you may have seen the video a while back, the online video of Amazon that they announced that they're planning on, on offering a drone delivery service. Now, drones have been in the, the press for, for many years, mainly initially from uh, the military um, perspective. And, um, but they've, you know, prices have dropped and there's a whole variety of reasons uh, why drones are, 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 have become a lot more accessible on the consumer side, on, on, the, on the business side. So I found someone in uh, Silicon Valley who uh, actually is the CEO and co-founder of Matinet, which is a, a, a company that's doing really exciting things in the, in the drone area. And I'm excited to say I have him at the end of my Skype line. Andreas Raptopoulos, thank you very much for joining us on the It's a Monkey podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Tell us uh, very briefly, um, quickly about Matinet. What is um, your vision, your reason for existence, and how did you get into the, the world of drones? Um, yeah, so our, um, our goal, our vision is to create a new, um, a new network, a network for the transportation of matter. Um, and this is, um, in our minds, a network that we that is enabled by this very, very exciting technology, uh, small UAVs, more commonly to, you know, referred to as drones, um, that have uh, the capability to transport small packages really, really, really cost efficiently and energy efficiently. Um, so uh, when we talk about Maternet, we talk about a network for transporting small packages, uh, and these are predominantly local networks uh, that uh, use basically three key technologies. The first is unmanned aerial vehicles. Uh, the second is stations uh, that the vehicles fly in and out of uh, to swap batteries and loads without human intervention. And the third is um, the operating system that manages a fleet of vehicles operating in you know over a small city or over a rural area uh, somewhere in an undeveloped part of the world. Um, we started off um, uh, working on Matternet um, two and a half years ago at a place in Silicon Valley called Singularity University. Um, this is a place that, um, um, you know, it's, it's like a summer camp. Uh, people gather there um, every summer to think about exponentially advancing technologies and how we can use them to resolve humanity's grand challenges. Um, so um, I was there in the summer of 2011, and I led the team that created um, this project as a response to extreme poverty. 
um, we realized that um, from the 1.4 billion people uh, living in extreme poverty today, two-thirds of them, 1 billion people, do not have access to all-season roads. So it's impossible for them to participate in the economy, and uh, they need to basically wait for decades for the um, investments to fall in place and the road infrastructure to be developed to the point where they can participate. So we asked ourselves, is there a better way? Could we actually find a technology today that will enable us to create a leapfrog scenario in the same way we've uh, seen it happening with mobile telephony. So that's how we started. Of course, um, after, you know, quickly as um, we started understanding the implications of what we were creating, we understood that we stumbled upon a new paradigm for transportation. Um, our name denotes that. Uh, we call Matternet as Network of Matter. Uh, but it's also a network that is somehow analogous to the Internet. So we have this concept of, uh, you know, a packet reaching network, uh, but for physical packets as opposed to information packets. And um, we see this being applied in many, many different uh, places in the world, um, uh, including areas that are not well served by roads in the developing world because, you know, roads there do not exist uh, uh, or are not reliable enough for um, all parts of the year. And uh, also in places where roads do exist, but they're very inefficient, like our cities and megacities. Um, so um, we have this grand vision of creating a new layer of transportation in the world that is enabled by this new technology and material vehicles. I commend you on, uh, it's always uh, what I love about Silicon Valley is, is all the grand visions going along there, the, the life, the, the passion for creating um, technologies and businesses that, that have high impact. And I, I find that very exciting. And um, let's just, um, you know, growing up in South Africa, I was, I, I was very familiar with um, some of the rural communities where the transportation of physical matters such as food and water really consumed most of those people's lives. So I have seen firsthand how, uh, how big an impact that is. And, and in the cities, we, we sort of, uh, it's very easy for us to forget about that and take that for granted. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and you can imagine, um, of course, you know, water and food are very, very important. Um, you can imagine all sorts of, uh, you know, urgent medical goods that we take for granted in, you know, the developed world. And, um, you know, they make a, a, a timely delivery makes a difference between, you know, life and death. Um, or, you know, um, you may be familiar um, with uh, Lesotho, a small sure. country, very mountainous country surrounded by South Africa. I, I've been there. Uh, Right. So you probably know firsthand that, uh, you know, it's a very mountainous, um, uh, you know, country with a lot of extreme terrain and an extreme AIDS epidemic. Um, and, uh, you know, talking to organizations there, you realize that um, it's not possible to create an effective um, uh, sort of uh, strategy against HIV AIDS in that country because it's very, very hard to move uh, diagnostic samples and medicine around. So, you know, with these types of uh, environments, it really makes sense to think radically about solving the problem and using a technology that is, um, you know, um, a, a technology that could change the game. So, um, you know, a lot of people ask us, uh, why did you guys start from this part of the world? And, um, you know, it started from um, a, part of, uh, a part of different sort of, um, for, for, for a couple of different reasons. The first one was, you know, from the belief, originating from the belief that uh, really technology works best where the need is most extreme. 
Um, and we really, I think, have a moral obligation to think about how we can uh, resolve the biggest problems that we're facing today as humanity using, you know, technology, I think, gives us the best chance to resolve them uh, adequately. The second reason, of course, is because um, this type of, um, uh, you know, unproven technology, and we're talking about, you know, small UAVs flying, um, you know, it's going to take us um, a few years in order to be able to reach the level of um, reliability and safety to be able to operate safely around people in condensed environments. So, you know, it really makes sense to go in places where, uh, you know, there are more rural places and um, the cost of failure is not uh, so high. So, you know, this is like a, a situation where you have the perfect marriage of, um, you know, doing something uh, to do good in the world and also doing something that makes a lot of commercial sense um, if you really believe, like we do, that this technology will be a new paradigm. Well, let's uh, let's look at the logistics and and the state of play with respect to um, all the practicalities. I mean, obviously, from a uh, uh, from a mechanical engineering perspective, um, I mean, I, I watched you got a great um, TED talk that you did, and there's some great footage of your actual drones, which we'll put a link up to, and um, you know, very impressive vehicles. But in terms of uh, understand the is it the FAA in the states have started looking at um, the legalities and the practicalities? What's the state of play in the different countries and actually making this a reality and dealing with the safety issues and the flight path issues and and um, and, and and all that sort of that layer um, that needs to exist for all of this to actually be enabled and happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still trying to figure it out for the most part. Uh, you know, in most countries, most um, regulatory authorities, the FAA in the U.S. and the equivalent agencies in different countries are trying to figure out what is the right framework to make sure that, uh, you know, the safety, public safety is not compromised. And there's a few, um, you know, different proposals right now in the table by different agencies in the U.S., and also international, um, their international counterparts that are trying to figure out, you know, what is the right way of integrating small UAVs in the national airspace in different countries. Um, we have our own assumptions on how this will work. Uh, we see, uh, you know, what, um, uh, you know, will be, uh, in fact, the, the regulatory framework that is enacted. Uh, currently, in the United States, the FAA is in a, on a time scale uh, to basically on, on a mission by Congress to um, uh, propose the framework for operations for small UAVs in the national airspace by uh, September 2015. So, you know, the sort of small UAV industry is watching very closely to see what that regulatory framework would look like. Um, there was a mention by that, uh, or to, you know, to that effect by Jeff Bezos as well, uh, you know, talking about the fact that, you know, it's um, Amazon wants to be ready to basically deploy this type of technology by that time scale. Um, when we think about, uh, you know, this problem and how the regulatory aspect of, uh, you know, this technology will be solved, regulatory goes hand in hand with public perception. Public perception goes hand in hand with, uh, you know, the safety and the, uh, you know, what's the public's trust around the technology. And these are really, really important things to consider when thinking, you know, how quickly can this happen? 
Um, and of course, you know, we're talking about a technology that has really bad reputation because of its, um, you know, military uses. So, you know, it will take a while for, um, you know, the imagination of the general public and then the regulators and then the different actors in the industry to open up and think, you know, what are the positive uses of that technology? How can we use it to really improve, um, you know, our, uh, our, the city that, you know, our cities and the way that we move things around? Uh, you know, reduce our carbon um, uh, emissions footprint, reduce the energy that we expend to move, you know, the vast amount of um, e-commerce goods around and so forth. Um, you know, when you look at uh, all these peripheral aspects of using, of using this technology, you know, one by one, there really is, you know, a very, very strong case uh, in favor of adopting such, a, you know, this, this, this technology. Uh, but still, you know, it's not, um, uh, it's not only sort of uh, driven, you know, logically, you know, it's, it's also an emotional um, and political sort of um, uh, aspect to it that needs to be dealt with. So, um, you know, there, there, is, there is a process right now that is going on, I think, that uh, uh, at the um, uh, different, um, you know, in different countries, there is a realization that this is a, a very interesting new technology that, um, uh, you know, different um, uh, countries want to take advantage and integrate in their economy. I think regulators also understand that uh, to some extent this is inevitable and they have to really figure out how to allow it to happen without compromising public safety. Um, and, you know, um, as it is typical with new technology, um, you know, it takes us a while to really uh, figure out how, you know, um, we, would, we would live around it and how it would affect our lives in a way that's positive. Are, the, are some of the current uh, transport companies, logistic companies like FedEx and UPS, are they um, in this game yet at all? Have they, uh, you, you know, are they, they playing on the fringes of this? I would imagine this is where they should, uh, they should be. This is where a, a large part of their future potentially could exist. I can only talk about um, you know what's what's known publicly. Uh, so in the um, uh, after the um, Amazon announcement, there was an announcement by UPS um, in the press that uh, they're also looking and considering this technology. Um, we've seen something a small pilot by DHL in Europe. Uh, we know of a few other players as well that are considering it, and uh, in fact, we try to um, basically stimulate that ecosystem and create the industry. Uh, you know, in in um, the two years of our existence, so I, I know that you know a lot of people are thinking about it. Um, you know, the the main sort of uh, concerns in everybody's mind is you know how ready is the technology for prime time? Who's going to be the uh, you know the, the the people or the companies that will really make it happen uh, will lead this space with the best technology, the safest and most reliable technology at the right um, uh, price point, and um, how will regulators react to it? Strange question. I, I yammered out. I sent a message out to our staff before I was interviewing you and saying if you you know going to be chatting about UAVs and drones and did you have any questions that I should ask? And one of the guys posed an interesting question. He said, "Will it will it ever be cost effective and possible to have a, a drone that can actually pick up and carry a human being, a person?" Um. Yes, I think I think um, it will be possible, but um, I don't believe it's going to be in this decade. Um, it's um, um, you know, if if you sort of take a step back and think about 
um, you know, uh, the way um, in which um, flying humans will ever sort of um, uh, achieve mass scale, you know, will we ever see sort of private uh, flying vehicles for humans, uh, you know, um, at, at a mass scale. I think the only way in which this can happen is if you uh, have the vehicles navigating autonomously and aviating autonomously. So you basically have no requirement of the human for piloting them. Um, and uh, I think if you look at the technology curve, um, it will uh, happen eventually. Now, uh, in order to be able to carry a human, um, you know, the you really need to uh, reach a level of um, reliability and uh, safety that it's, you know, um, that's, that's, that's much, much higher. So um, uh, the, the, I think the answer, my feeling around, um, you know, uh, this, this question is that um, it's definitely going to happen, but it's not going to be anytime soon. It'd be pretty. Uh, I, I I quite like the concept of standing outside your apartment and getting a, a little claw coming down and and capturing you and just taking you on your little journey to your to your office uh, over the city. Particularly in Sydney, where the weather's usually very good and it's quite, it would be quite a scenic trip. <laughs> yes, yes, and I mean the uh, if if you sort of take into account this concept of uh, you know that technology really. And, you know, this also ties into the, um, with the ideas of, you know, around disruptive technology and disruptive innovation, that, you know, technology of that kind always start from, you know, the edge problems where adequate solutions don't quite exist. Um, so, you know, there are many, many sort of uh, cases uh, around the world today where, you know, the, the sort of um, uh, getting into a car and going to a place is just not a good option. Mm. Um, it doesn't work, you know. Um, you can think about many places in the developing world. You can think about many places in the developed world. Los Angeles. After, yeah, that too. But, you know, also um, out, you know, uh, situations that are not normal. So, uh, you know, what happens in New York after Sunday? Uh, what happens after a big hurricane hits uh, somewhere in the world where, you know, traditional infrastructure just fails? Um, you know, so th there are a lot of sort of edge applications that we will start seeing these types of technologies uh, being applied for first because before they reach mass adoption. And then it's a question of, you know, how uh, rapidly the cost will come down for these uh, types of, um, uh, you know, technologies to be finding mass adoption. But there is, you know, a few companies, um, you know, uh, a few under the, um, uh, in sort of stealth mode here in the valley, and um, uh, some of the bigger players working specifically on this problem. Uh, you know, how do you take a human from, uh, I don't know, Santa Monica to downtown LA, uh, you know, in, in traffic by using a sort of private uh, flying vehicle? Um, so, you know, these types of, uh, obviously, you know, these ideas exist in public conscience. You know, people, uh, you know, have this that Sony and sort of vision of the future. And, um, you know, there is a, um, uh, if you can imagine it, I think there's a good argument to say that you can, uh, you will absolutely, actually be able to build it. But what's really fascinating right now in this specific industry is that we figured out another way to control, you know, to build, to build aircraft, basically. And this is what's really, really exciting right now. In, uh, you know, when you look at the small UAV space, those quad rotors, octacopters, and um, uh, you know, all the um, vehicles at a small scale, is that these are basically, uh, you know. 
it's it's another way to build a flying vehicle. It's a new approach in my in my mind. It may be the biggest invention uh, or discovery in um, you know uh, vehicle technology since the discovery or the invention of the internal combustion engine. Uh, we suddenly have a way to create a vehicle that is mostly software and hardware. And we really know how to build software and hardware very well and very reliably and at a very low cost. Um, and if you think about, you know, for example, the vehicles that we're using, um, you know, these um, have only uh, eight propellers and eight motors, and that's the whole interface to the physical world. The rest of the device is, you know, just... Um, a computer basically running uh, some clever algorithm. So um, this is this is amazing if you if you think about it a bit more deeply. You know, um, it's the first time we've been able to simplify a vehicle to that extent. When you have a handful of moving parts, as opposed to I don't know twenty thousand moving parts that a seven a seven 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 Boeing has today. So you know, if you think about this and that you know. At any given day, most of us would basically entrust their lives uh, uh, on, you know, on a Boeing to do a transit lightning trip, and that's that's really a very complex machine. Um, if you you take it like by extrapolation, it's a no-brainer that at some point we will be able to achieve, you know, better reliability with a very, uh, you know, a much simplified machine like uh, one that is mostly basically a computer. So, uh, you know, this is really the promise of that space, and that's why it's really exciting, um, to me at least. And I, I think, um, you know, everything that I'm seeing, you know, coming up from academia and also, um, you know, the different uh, startups in the space really, you know, is proof to that point that um, it's, it's, uh, we're going to see an amazing innovation happening in that particular segment. What has the response been of governments like uh, Lesotho and perhaps other countries that have infrastructure challenges? I mean, roads, as you mentioned, are incredibly expensive to build, incredibly expensive to maintain. Have they got excited and are they partnering with you or, or, or um, has there been you know, a whole lot of other political challenges along the way with these countries? Um the the countries that we've talked so far, and you know, most of our experience has been in the Dominican Republic and Haiti. Um, they are very receptive to this idea. Um, there is a uh, you know a, a big willingness to try something new, um, especially when um, you know they see a, a problem that could otherwise be addressed. Um, you know, being addressed with a technology that is really, really sort of cost-effective for them. Um, and there's also, you know, a notion of, you know, taking a little bit more risk to figure out, you know, what the future makes look like. So, um, you know, so far we've had very positive experiences uh, in that respect, but um, we're still operating at the, um, uh, you know, at the trial level. It would be a different uh, sort of um, uh, discussion to try and really think, you know, um, can I really um, uh, sort of depend on, um, you know, regulatory approval that, uh, you know, has a long time horizon, maybe, you know, five or ten years to really basically um, allow a whole ecosystem to be to be born and an industry to be born in that country? That's a different question. But the, you know, the initial, um, the initial uh, response to the technology and us basically knocking the door of um, aviation authorities in, in different countries has been very, very positive. Um, 
obviously, uh, I would assume you're a funded company with you know your time horizons that you're talking about of five to ten years. I mean, we're a bootstrapped company, and the products we create, we have to turn revenue quickly. It's, it's we exist at the opposite end of you. Um, is it is it? Are you at liberty to talk about who your investors are? Um. A little bit, yes. I mean, uh, some some of the investment um, that we received this part is in the public domain already. Um, um, you know, we are a typical Silicon Valley startup, so we don't have a long time horizon. We really have to um, innovate every step of the way mm-hmm. and market innovation, finding customers and delivering uh, applications um, and, you know, to paying customers is really, really crucial to us growing. And that's really the, um, you know, today's sort of Silicon Valley mantra. Um, and um, um, so in that in that respect, we're not counting on, you know, um, a, a big pile of money that will see us through for the next 10 years, we're really counting on releasing products and services that people will be able to, uh, people will find uh, attractive uh, enough to, to want to pay for right away. Um, we've been, uh, we've received some investment uh, by uh, a venture capital firm here called Andreessen Horowitz mm-hmm. and a few other uh, investors uh, from around the world, not just Silicon Valley. Um, uh, a person like, you know, Fadi Gantur from, um, from Dubai, the founder of Aramex, a few sort of uh, luminaries from here, you know, super angels here in the Valley. Um, so, you know, it's, um, we, we are taking a, a different view, I think, to most uh, Valley startups on how to build this. Uh, we really believe that uh, what we're trying to do will happen outside the U.S. first. Um, it will happen in the south and east of the world first. And we're really trying to position ourselves um, to take advantage of those opportunities um, and then, you know, eventually be uh, the company with the most operational experience and the best products to be able to capitalize in, you know, the U.S. market or the European markets when they open. Um, so, you know, we're having a very international um, outlook in the way that we're thinking about this. Uh, but really, it's key for us to, uh, you know, develop the best, um, you know, in-class technology that will allow us to execute on those um, on, on those solutions and have paying customers very, very early on. I wonder if there would be a use case in some of the Australian environments where they use um, fixed-wing aircraft to dust crops, um, which I would assume is a great expense. And they also use um, um, men on motorbikes and men and women on motorbikes and horses to, um, y- you know, to drove cattle and uh, sheep. I wonder if a whole collection of drones could actually do that almost algorithmically and 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 semi or automate or automatically. So you might have another market in this part of the world. Yeah. So I mean, non-transportation applications of drones have been around, uh, you know, for a while. For example, the uh, the best-selling, uh, I think, um, uh, you know, unmanned helicopter in the world is a, a small helicopter produced by Yamaha uh, that is used for crop dusting in oh, the, right. in Japan for the best part of a decade, right? So it exists not already. Ton- yeah, it's, it exists and it has existed for a while. Um, it's not an autonomous vehicle, it's not an electric vehicle, um, but, you know, nevertheless, uh, it's a fantastic application of an unmanned vehicle because, you know, it's much cheaper uh, to use than, you know, a helicopter. 
Um, we're going to see a lot of application of small UAVs in agriculture. We're going to see a lot of applications in, um, you know, uh, different types of imaging applications from, you know, surveying infrastructure to, um, you know, mapping and so forth. And, you know, eventually we may be seeing, you know, the types of applications that you've just mentioned, um, uh, you know, the latter application about um, herding uh, cattle, for instance. I think that it's more likely we're going to see uh, this type of technology being used as a tool by human doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as opposed to re- totally replacing a human. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Uh, there's there's a lot of innovation happening right now in the space, and it only takes, um, you know, a few brilliant sort of uh, uh, minds to come together and decide that they want to do something in the space, and then the technology tools are out there for people to really innovate. Now, Andreas, I'm not sure if uh, I, I can assume correctly that you're originally from Greece? Yes, that's correct. And, uh, you know, one of the, the things that I'm fascinated with is obviously startups and, and tech ecosystems. What's, uh, what's the startup scene and the tech startup scene like in Greece? Uh, well, it's growing now. Um, I've been uh, back and forth a few times in the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, Greece is going through a fundamental shift in, uh, you know, how people think around, uh, you know, uh, their future and how they can create the future for themselves. Um, as, as, you know, it's, it's one of the positive side effects of the, you know, a very, um, you know, stark economic crisis that um, we've had at Greece, uh, in Greece. So um, this is actually one of the uh, things that I'm very excited about, um, you know, that there's no shortage of uh, very clever uh, people, very smart engineers, very smart business minds. Um, and, um, you know, uh, in Greece, as in other, you know, there's no shortage of, of them in any part of the world, I think, today. And, um, um, you know, it's, it only takes a, a different mindset to think about how do you create your own future as opposed to, or your own job, if you want to put it plainly, as opposed to, you know, um, finding a job when those, those, and when the job market is going down, I think the best uh, thing that people can do is really tend to entrepreneurial activity and create their own future. So we see that happening. Yeah, we see that happening in Greece a lot lately. Um, You know, it takes um, uh, a while for the whole country to basically, you know, redirect itself and its systems in order to support this adequately. Uh, but, you know, I think we've seen it in Europe, um, uh, you know, happening in Europe uh, for, the, for the last few years. And um, uh, it's, it's, I think it's really encouraging. Is there, any, is there much early stage funding in Greece? Um, I don't, I wouldn't say that there is. Um, it's, um, uh, you know, the, are there really sort of um, seed states, venture capital firms? Um, I don't know the scene that well, but my feeling and from what I hear is that, you know, probably the answer is no. Um, you know, the, um, the people there tend to be more conservative, conservative on what they invest in. And this is really something that is missing, I think, from the ecosystem here, there. But I think that um, only in the last uh, three, four years, there's been like, um, you know, more than a handful of incubators. That is another form of, uh, you know, every stage sort of um, uh, support of a new idea or a new company information. Uh, so, you know, it may be um, happening uh, slowly. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there, there's any, um, you know, part of the world that is as aggressive 
in this sort of uh, early stage, uh, you know, funding of companies as the Silicon Valley is. Uh, but the story of the Silicon Valley has been around so much that um, people are aware of it and are trying to emulate it in different ways. Um, so things like Techstars and other incubators, I think, are really helping to really reorient the ecosystems in different countries to make that happen. I agree. And I think in 5, 10, 15 years, I think the geographical location is going to be, um, it's still always going to be an issue or, or, or a benefit, but it's, it's, I think it's going to be, be less, um, it's going to be less of a benefit for a whole variety of reasons, but that's probably a discussion for, for another day. Um, Andreas uh, Reptopoulos from uh, Madinet, the CEO and co-founder, really appreciate your time in the podcast. I'll put a link up to your TED Talk and uh, to your Twitter account, and um, I'm sure we'll be chatting to you in the future. We'll be, we'll be watching um, the space of UAVs and drones with interest. I appreciate your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I wish you and your uh, listeners a good year. And uh, stay tuned. It's a really exciting space. Um, So I'm pretty sure there's going to be a few exciting developments uh, from us and other people in the space. We'll be watching the skies for those quadrocopters closely. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. I'm really excited about this space. This is um, this is a space that I feel quite um, enthusiastic about, and yeah. and think that it's <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. You think this one will be the future? There's something. There's something there. I mean, I mean, the the, the benefits are just just really big. And um, I mean, you, when you watch the TED video, which we'll put the um, podcast, uh, we'll put a link on the the podcast page to. Um, it it makes a huge lot of sense, and especially in these countries and areas where there's no roads, it's uh, infrastructure is a nightmare, and um, thousands of kilometers of inaccessible terrain. And this little quadrocopter comes flying, sort of through, and um, comes and delivers a three kilogram package of medication or whatever. You know? Yeah, no, it's very interesting. It's um. Yeah, like as you as you asked him, I think it's very interesting if we really are gonna be able to sort of fly around with ourselves with drones. I think that's a very interesting uh, evolution of the technology. I mean, I don't know what what the limitations are in terms of physically doing this kind of stuff. Whether you really, whether it's like a physical problem to actually be able to lift individual people up. Maybe you need like a helicopter sized blade in order to actually you know lift them up above the ground. Maybe that's why drones just won't work. But um, yeah, no, it's it's amazing, amazing technology, and I think the real it's kind of funny because I guess I guess we've really had the technology for years, and I guess the real innovation that's allowing drones to be so successful and so um, innovative now is really the software that goes along with them. It's like the ability to actually uh, you know send them on certain flight paths and have you know locations which they can kind of go between and transfer you know physical matter as um, you know she talked about in the interview. So yeah, no, it's it's amazing arena. I'm you know I'm interested in this one too. I think I, it's good. 
I think, yeah, and also, you know, if they've all got transponders and they can see each other and communicate with each other, it just totally hum along quite nicely. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And I think they, I think they've got them down to a price level of a couple of grand per, you know, two to four grand per drone, which is which is very That's workable. Very yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can even just buy one. I know when I was looking for Christmas presents, just like on Amazon, you can buy buy a drone for somebody now. It's kind of crazy that it's you know. If that's a thing, like a consumer thing, but uh, yeah, yeah, I saw one at Bondi a couple yeah. of weeks ago, mm. and just sort of cruising over the beach there. I don't know okay. what the law. I don't know what the current laws are. I've got no idea either. Uh, maybe if it's below a certain altitude, it's okay. Maybe it's if it's below like a kilometer, maybe like you know, a few hundred meters, it's fine. Because there's always been remote control planes for a long time. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there just isn't any law about it because, you know, there's no reason why there would be. I mean, they're still potentially, especially in a place like a beach, it's, it's potentially dangerous. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I don't, I haven't ever heard of anybody, you know, having, being seriously injured by a falling drone. I mean, I guess they have to be really light anyway right now because you have to be really light in order to actually be able to lift themselves off the ground. So even if one does fall on your head, you're probably not going to sustain any yeah. serious injury. K- kids, though, and things, you know children yeah yeah obviously yeah there's yeah. You know, i'm sure there's some way that it could you know if you're like riding a bike and it, you uh and then one flies into your face and you kind of crash into a car then um yeah there's definitely ways that you could uh you know be liable if you're flying a drone and cause uh cause accidents but um you know i'm sure we'll overcome this stuff you know there was a there was actually a guy um that was some sort of semi-professional remote control plane stunt mm. pilot a couple of months ago that died and they he they would do some some tricky stunt that they would fly over their own head or something oh wow i think this was in new york or in brooklyn or something oh, okay and he actually misjudged something and he actually died oh geez wow oh, yeah. that's kind of crazy but what, he from was his own plane yeah or? from his own plane oh geez and there were all these youtube videos of him doing this stunt it's quite it's it's, it's known to be a risky stunt right so it's not like he was just flying something. And it was, it was a plane, as opposed to a drone, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. No, it was a plane. Have you ever been to a remote-controlled plane airfield? No, I don't think so, no. I once... Um, I don't know why I'm talking about my, my pasties so much in this episode, but anyway, when must I was... Must be getting old, reminiscing. Be, isn't it inter- <laughs> I was thinking about that recently. Isn't it interesting how the older people get, the more they talk about their past? You, you mm. don't really hear sort of a 19, 20-year-old really talking about when they were 10 or something, but... Mm-hmm. Good old days when I was 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so no, when I was about, I don't know, whatever, 10, 11, 12... A family friend of a friend of mine was very into remote control planes and he took us to an airfield once and it was fascinating. It was awesome. It was just different planes and gliders and and helicopters. And um, I remember the first thing that he taught us was that if a plane starts coming for you, is out of control and seems like it's coming your way, lie on your back and kick your legs. I'll never forget that. That's interesting. Yeah. That was like the, the safety thing. Ah, so it would hit your legs as opposed to hitting yeah, you. Yeah, your head. Oh, yeah, it's very yeah. cool. Makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah. And um, I just remember these things were really loud, annoyingly loud, like little zzz, but like, you know, very loud. But it looked like a huge amount of fun. Mm. And they're just a real hobbyists and enthusiasts. So, um, yeah, it's it's. I'm, I'm sure they still exist. And, you know, I'm sure people still fly remote control planes and... We could we could put our Bitcoin ATM on a drone and then sort of just fly it above Mother Place and only to rent a space. Then. Well, we could just do it 
on delivery, right? Ah, it's like Uber. Yeah. They they just they got an, a phone app, and um, they just hit the button, and the drone comes and it just sort of lowers itself. Actually, yeah, because the problem with Bitcoin is you need to actually physically get the cash. So if you had a drone that was actually physically collecting the cash from you, it's actually a really good idea. I'm be, I'm really mm. curious to see how um, nobody still this is listening to the podcast. <laughs> I'm really curious to see how all these uh, criminals were going to use drones <laughs> and combined with Bitcoin, yeah. combined with everything. Hey, interestingly, we've got to mention um, uh, Biz Stone from Twitter. His new app got released, Jelly. Have you tried it? Yeah, I've played around with it a little bit. I haven't actually sort of answered or asked any questions, but I've done a little bit of playing. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of it? Yeah, I played with it this morning. Um, I mean, for those that... Um, haven't tried jelly it's you basically take a photo of something and ask a question around it and people see the question and the photo and they can answer and it's look i mean i think the execution is fantastic i mean a great ui and um you know just really easy to use i think the the actual execution and implementation is terrific 10 out of 10 yeah i thought so too it's got a very nice UI. it's a little bit um doesn't feel quite polished but it's 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 the actual interaction stuff is amazing like the, the way you interact, you interact yeah. with it it's very good that so th- that was really impressive but in terms of the concepts and the use cases you know i d- i just don't know if it's disruptive enough um i think if there would maybe be some niche like for instance maybe that becomes popular for instance i like buying new clothes but i never know if something looks good or not right and I know services like this exist already, but something like if it becomes famous or popular for taking a photo of, do I look mm. good in this yeah, that's type thing? Yeah. You know, like if that service and if there were like all these, you know, stylists on there and, and people that are into that. So I think if there was a, I think if, if a particular use case emerges and it mm. would become famous for that, but as a generalist, you know, what type of cloud is this called or what is it like, I, I, I don't see it really becoming that compelling. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. Maybe there is some niche that it's going to fulfill. Yeah, that's a good point. But um, anyway, we'll 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 see where that goes. Anyway, you've been listening to Kevin Garber and James Peter. We are the co-founders of Manage Flitter. It's 2014, episode number 32 of the Monkey Podcast. Hopefully we didn't drone on too long <laughs> in this episode. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we need to use that one. <laughs> you couldn't avoid using that one. Please email us. Please um, tweet us. We'll be back in two weeks and we'll be talking all about Bitcoin. If you have your Bitcoin questions, um, please send them through either via Twitter or to podcast at itsamonkey.com. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. Happy New Year. Have a good one.